Hi, Shannon Waller here with Dan Sullivan, and welcome to the Inside Strategic Coach Podcast. Now, last time we talked about really creating irreplaceable team members, which is a very different mindset than what most people have. And today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that unique ability teamwork situation and talk about motivation. We're going to talk about how to stay on your side of the line. So, Dan, one of the things that I found really fascinating in our conversations about coach and how we grow is how you kind of made a real distinction between you spending a long period of time figuring out your own unique ability, and then you kind of got that handled, and then you focused on unique ability teamwork. So can you share a little bit about that? Because to me, it was a very interesting way to look at how you grow your business and how you grow your team. Yeah, Shannon, I think that the long process that I went through personally And really, it starts very early. I mean, it starts certainly in childhood, teenage years, that I wanted life the way I wanted life. And I got this whatever it is that gave me that sense when I was six, seven years old. And I really pursued it doggedly, sometimes for decades, very painfully, I've actually pursued it. But I had a sense that unless I had things the way I wanted them to be from the standpoint of how I was able to operate, I wouldn't put up with any substitute rewards. I wouldn't put up with any substitute success unless it was on my terms. And as I explored entrepreneurism and I became familiar with entrepreneurism, that's a resonant thought that a lot of entrepreneurs have, that For some reason, they will not accept other people's notion how they should grow in life and how they should prepare themselves for life, but they're going to come up with their own custom design structure and process. And so it took me a long time. You know, I mean, I was certainly into mid-40s before I really got a handle on this. And I'd gone through some, a lot of different interesting learning experiences and some real painful failures and real painful learning (laughs) experiences. But I always stayed with it. I never thought that I would ever, no matter how much difficulty I was having, I never gave it a thought that I would do anything except proceed the way that I was actually proceeding. And it made me very tough, and it made me increasingly skillful in the sense that I began to realize at a certain point that there were enormous lessons that I had accumulated by going through this and that when I talked about these lessons, other people were fascinated with them. Then gradually I zeroed in on the people who were most fascinated by them and they were entrepreneurs. And it had to do with the central issue of personal freedom which I think is the central motivation for all entrepreneurs. Now, some entrepreneurs understand this sort of unconsciously or intuitively, but the ones who are just hugely successful as entrepreneurs and really are the type of entrepreneurs who change the whole game of the industry and marketplace, are that they're very conscious that freedom is the central motivator. And as we explain in the program, that the four main freedoms that you want to be continually developing and expanding are freedom of time, that you have control over your time more and more so, freedom of your money, that you're making money in a way that's deeply satisfying to you and you're making a lot of money, 
freedom of relationship that you get to work with the people that you like working with and you do not work with people you don't like working with. And that's both inside your organization, it's in your friendships, and it's also in your clients and customers. And then the final one is freedom of purpose, which is the big why. You know, why are you doing this, all of this anyway? My feeling is that I probably spent 45 years working out my own conditions for personal freedom, which really created the strategic coach, and it really brought me into partnership with Bab Smith. And what I was putting together were the conditions in which I could always be free. But then I began to realize that I had conceptualized a lot of my journey and that other people would buy my experiences in the form of thinking processes. Mm -hmm. And I just uniquely found that if you want to get this kind of result, you have to think about it in this way. The strategy circle is the first major thinking process, but then in the subsequent 25 to 30 years, we've created hundreds of thinking processes, and they're all designed to expand freedom in different kinds of entrepreneurial situations. So that's really the starting point for my entire thinking about what an entrepreneurial organization should look like. If it does not expand the freedom, time, money, relationship and purpose of the entrepreneur, it's not a good organization. Mm -hmm. That's a fascinating point. Now, what I find also interesting is you don't do this alone, and you don't just want that freedom for yourself. Mm -hmm. You want it for other people, too. You've also added another innovation to the program in terms of how to talk about unique ability in terms of irritating activities, okay activities, and the ones that are fascinating and motivating. So talk about the freedom for that and then who you need around you to make that happen. In the original definition of unique ability, we had four layers. We had incompetent activities. You know, you're just no good at this. You end up with a lot of grief. Mm -hmm. And then you moved in towards the center of a circle. And in the next layer in is competent. You're okay at it. You come up to minimum standards and... There's nothing special about the activity, but you're not failing either. And then the next circle in, before you get to the center, is excellent. You're really excellent, and other people admit that it's excellent, but it doesn't give you any special reward. You have the skill, and you've had proper training, and you're given proper situations to use the skill, but it's not electrifying. There's nothing magical about it. It's just that Things were laid out, and you're doing them perhaps better than most other people, but you don't get any real special pleasure about that. But then in the middle is unique ability, and unique ability is real magic, and it's real technicolor, and it's real dynamic, and it's real special. So I came up with a little simpler model because I wanted it to be a little bit more instrumental that people could check out very, very quickly whether they were in incompetent, incompetent, or if they were in excellent, or if they were in unique ability. It's a circle that has two other circles in it. So you have a big circle, and then you have another circle not as big inside of it, and then you have a smaller circle inside that one. So three circles, and we call them A, B, and C. And A is all the activities that you find yourself involved in where you are really irritated by these activities. There's no other way to say it. 
And irritating, it's one of those wonderful English words that when you say the word, you almost feel the emotion. <laughs> you know, it's very, very irritating. And then as you move in, in the old unique ability model, you get into competent and excellent. And I say, those are okay. But you would retire from excellent activities. Mm -hmm. You would retire. You would pick a point where you're not going to do that anymore. But in the center, unique ability, we call that fascinating and motivating. And you never want to retire from unique ability, and you never want to retire from fascinating and motivating. There's absolutely no reason in the world why you would want to stop doing this. And generally in the world, we associate this onward passion, no matter how old you are, with the arts, with arts and entertainment. I mean, Tony Bennett is over 90 years old, and he's still performing full-time. And mm -hmm. I'm 72, and I was two years old when Tony Bennett started performing full-time. It's 70 years of my life that Tony Bennett has been giving full concerts. You see him in interviews, and there's absolutely no idea in his mind that he would ever stop doing what he was doing. That's a man who's living totally in his unique ability and is fascinating, motivating. And we have it that it's only reserved for people in the arts or in culture, possibly in academia, you know, where you get that. But actually, it's present in all fields of activities where the person's passion for what they're doing has been properly organized and they've been properly supported from the outside and they'll continue to create forever. And that's my goal, that's my goal. And this has developed over time, but I have no intention of ever stopping the activity that I'm involved in. And one of the reasons is because of the teamwork I have around me, the impact of what I'm doing is bigger every year and quite frankly, the fact that the impact is bigger gives me enormous enjoyment, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm getting enormously more rewarded for doing what I do inside Strategic Coach every year. And money is just kind of a number on the scorecard. It just indicates that, yes, you are having a wider and wider impact. But that's not really the reward. The reward is the activity itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Dan, one of the things that you coach our clients on is really about staying on their side of the line. Mm -hmm. And what we're talking about in preparation for this is the line is at the end of fascinating and motivating for you. Yes. Which is such a great way because it has such an emotional hit. Yes. The moment you step into okay, you experience this huge loss of energy. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's a real clue. And because I work with team members so often and entrepreneurs with their teams – one of the big dangers that a lot of companies experience and entrepreneurs and team members do is that the entrepreneur has these fasting and motivating activities at which they could spend a lot more time in, except they feel compelled to step over the line and do their team's job or double check or manage or micromanage or <laughs> control. So talk about that. Talk about the mindset that it takes to really stay on your side of the line. Well, I think that there's a prevailing notion that as the owner of a company, you're supposed to get involved in the work that you don't like doing. As a matter of fact, it's a badge of honor, <laughs> I notice, with a lot of entrepreneurs, you know. And the word that I approach to them is that they're rescuers mm. and that they love stepping into other people's activities and rescuing people. It comes from a mindset that nobody's as good at what they do as you are at what you do. And I think just the opposite. 
beyond my own unique ability, which is largely front stage, like doing podcasts, as I'm doing right here, or it's doing videos, coaching workshops. Backstage, I'm creating new materials, but the whole purpose of the materials is for front stage value. So I'm strictly a front stage person. I'm not a backstage person. And there's two reasons for that. I get my enjoyment only in the front stage. And the other thing is that I get nothing but punishment when I involve myself in backstage activities. I'm not good at management. I'm not good at details. I'm not good at follow through. I'm not good at working out very, very intricate teamwork. I'm not good at any of those things. And it causes me stress any time that I'm required to be involved in that. Probably about 25 years ago, I just started taking my emotional response to my activities as the key to what I should be doing and what I should not be doing. So I've drawn a line between the activities that I find fascinating and motivating and everything else. Now, I have to tell you, the everything else is crucial to my success. But I have no skill in saying what that other activity should be. I have no skill in knowing how one actually does those activities. I have no notion of how one links this activity up with other activities. But I do know very, very clearly what the overall results look like when all those other things have come into play. So what I'm a master at, Shannon, is I'm a real master at making up new things. I aspire to get much better at that activity. And then I have a clear sight sometime down the line that I know exactly what this result looks like when it's made real and it's put into a situation where it recurs constantly. So I have just have those two abilities, the making up and being absolutely clear what the end result looks like. And outside of that, I have no skill in any other area. There's a way that you've talked about that, Dan, which I found really interesting because, as you said, going backstage is not your unique ability. I love when you tell people that your security clearance doesn't go that mm-hmm. high. It's a very fun way to say that. But what you are really clear about is that you want more freedom in a particular mm-hmm. area. So you don't tell people what to do. You say, I want to be freed up from this, yes. and this is what it looks like when it's done which gives people an enormous amount of room to use their own skills and capabilities and creativity to deliver that for you. Yeah, so what I am, I mean, where my mind gets highly specific is in terms of describing to other people exactly what I don't wanna do, (laughs) okay? And that's a precondition for getting what I want. So there's two things operating here, Shannon. There's my clear vision of what the end result looks like, and I get better and better at describing the clear vision so that other people can understand it very clearly. And I get better and better at saying, I've just noticed there's some irritating and okay activities in my space, and I don't want them anymore, so 90 days from now, this and this and this and this, I don't want to do this anymore. But I don't give instructions on how these things should be done because the very fact that I find them irritating and okay means that I'm not good at actually describing how these things should be done. I'm in an area of no competence when it comes to knowing how other activities should be done. And this is the great arrogance and vanity conceit of entrepreneurs. They think that because they can see the end result that they actually know how the end result is going to be created. And my sense is very few people do. 
their way of creating the end result is very inefficient, oftentimes very faulty, and sometimes completely futile. Well, from team members I've talked to, they would completely agree with you, Dan. The one point I want people to really take away is that you don't actually even tell people to do things. You actually ask for help. You say, hey, I want to be freed up from this. Can you help me? There's a graciousness, and people want to contribute to making your life better in the way that you want it. And I think they're willing to give you more freedom because they have so much freedom in terms of how they accomplish it. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. So I've got this quarterly experience that I always have, and it just really tickles my heart. And that is that in the 10 times program, every exercise that I ask the entrepreneurs to do in the program, I have a sample of what it looks like when it's filled in. And the actual sample is my real life planning. One of the major documents in the 10 times program is called the Breakthrough Booklet. It's my game plan for the next 90 days. And then there's five projects which are more important than any other projects, and then I do an impact filter, which is my go-to tool. I'm just a passionate impact filter user in Strategic Coach, and this is just a one-page document which completely communicates the context of the project and the crucialness of the project. You know, if we get it done, it's a huge breakthrough. If we don't get it done, it's a setback. And then what the actual We call them the success criteria, what the actual success criteria look like. In other words, when this project is finished, this is what it looks like. It looks like this, 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 and they're all measurable. So I put in these five completely worked out projects. takes me about a half hour with each of them. And I'm going to use these documents to actually pass on to team members who can actually do it. But I have in each workshop a success director. They're responsible basically for making everything work. They don't have responsibility for the coaching, but they have responsibility to see that everything in the workshop actually happens. And a couple of times every quarter, I have Karen Sklerik, and Karen's been with us for a long time, totally irreplaceable person and strategic coach. Karen is the absolute master, and we have a lot in our company, but Karen is the total role model for someone who gets things done. She knows how to organize it. She knows how to organize the people around it. So she'll sit in the workshop, my two workshops, and she reads through my impact filters. And I can see her with her yellow marker, and she's just marking up everything that she knows that she can handle for me. If you talk about delegation, it's a very interesting delegation because I don't give it to her to do anything with it, but she just steps forward and volunteers. And the reason why so much happens just because she does that, I mean, there will be 25, 30 actions that will take place during the quarter, and it's all because Karen just sees what I say I'm not going to do anymore or that somebody else has to do, and she says, well, I can handle that, I can handle that, I can handle that. And it's kind of like this magical thing that happens for me. But I've gotten smart. You know, I just keep throwing things in there that I totally find irritating and okay. And Karen just picks them up and takes care of them. So it's kind of a very high art form that we've developed as a teamwork with this transfer, you know. And again, it goes back to your statement that I'm not telling people what to do. I'm being utterly clear 
about what I don't want to do anymore. Mm-hmm. And that, just to wrap up this conversation, the impact filter is really the handoff. Mm-hmm. And just to boil it down for any of our listeners who are less familiar with it, in the impact filter, you articulate the purpose, what is it, the importance, why, the ideal result, what it looks like when it's fabulous, the best and worst. And the best and worst involves a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you really want to be excited about the best and scared about the worst. Best so, and worst are reward and punishment. Yes. You know, they're kind of statements, but they're very emotional that if you don't pull this off, there's a real emotional loss or a setback. And if you pull it off, there's a big emotional jump that happens. And that's part of the convincing, you know, that goes on. And first of all, I'm convincing myself. So I have a rule. I never try to sell something to anyone else that I haven't 100% sold myself on. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't communicate anything unless I'm 100% sold on it. And then, as you said, there's a success criteria. And it is so empowering for the team because one of my next podcasts is going to be don't make your team guess what you're thinking Mm -hmm. because they will make it up wrong. So this clarity of communication is quite profound. And one of the analogies that I use for teamwork is a relay race. There apparently, not that I'm an athlete in any way, shape, or form, but there are two rules for a relay race. One is to have the right person in the right position in the race. The other is don't drop the baton. Mm-hmm. What we've talked about in coach is really the impact filter is the baton. And half the time people are throwing it. They're not communicating at all. They're running the whole race by themselves. But a good handoff is when you hand over that impact filter. Mm -hmm. And I think you have raised your communication with Karen to the level of an art form (laughs) where she can just sit in the workshop and fulfill things for you. But that's so critical. And that's really what makes the unique teamwork work and what has you staying safely on your side of the line and then with your security clearance in place, and the team is able Mm -hmm. to really support you. So I get to watch this in action all of the time, and I like that we model it for our clients, but really I think opening up the conversation and revealing how it happens is incredibly useful. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Shannon. 